to kick us off to start, we're going to read the scripture. Because the scripture is alive and is active and is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so I'm going to call upon some amazing high school students. They didn't even know this. I'm going to call them up right now. Annika, Sophia, will you get on up here? Come on, girls. Come on. You're going to read the scripture for us today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 2. So it, there's, oh, fantastic. Look at you. You're amazing. And I have a digital copy. So we have, we have old technology and new technology. That's great. Um, they're both good. All good things. So Ephesians chapter 2, and you want to read the first five, and you can read the second five. Uh, verses 1 through 10. Verses 1 through 10. The word of the Lord. Here we go. of the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the, its desires and thoughts like the rest, we by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms of Jesus Christ, in order that in the comings, coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and yet this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not, not by works, and so that n no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which... God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. The word of the Lord. Man, there's nothing like teenagers reading the scripture. Let me tell you something. And those two girls just uh, finished finals. We have some students who are going into their finals right now. No matter what your grades say, your identity comes in the word of God. Not in your performance at school. All right. So... The circles I ran in growing up, uh, the gospel presentation focused on you were dead and now you're alive. Amazing, amazing goodness. And we hear that in our passage today. However, it's not all that we hear in our passage today because there's something else. See, God didn't just save us from something. God saved us for something. God saved us from death. For life. Let me tell you, it's easy. Sometimes, some of us, we go, oh, man, we're saved, but I just want heaven to come. I'm just going to wait till heaven comes. No, we don't wait till heaven comes. Heaven is the end result. might be where we go, but God has a purpose right now for us, and we're going to focus on that today. So we're going to focus today on what God has saved us for. So, uh, Tommy, where'd you put that prop? Where'd Tommy go? Did Tommy out with the junior hires? James, can you go in the back? There's a prop there. And I'll preface it this. Uh, so James had a prop last week. He had a box covered in wrapping paper, gothic wrapping paper, if I remember right. And he said that some of us, you know, we just kind of like that, that first gift, the battery. But God's got something so much bigger for us, ready for us, if we will just open it and embrace it. So I said, what the heck? I'm going to go do it. I'm going to go find James, open that box, and find what it is in there for me. So, thank you, James. You make a great assistant, by the way, too. You know. So, uh, so it, it hit me, this gift. 
It's, this gift is not just for me. This gift is also for you. And it's a gift, I think, that you can receive as well. So you ready for the gift? This amazing. You might put sunglasses on because this thing will blow you away when you see it. Are you ready for the gift? All right, James, ready? One, two, three, go. There is a gift. Do you see it? What's the gift? It's you. It's you. You're the gift. You're the gift, Grant. Sit, buddy. Annika, Sophia, Drew. You're the gift. Uh, I love Tommy when I was... Thank you, James. That's, yeah, that's good. <laughs> we don't want people to be, become narcissistic. P90X style, baby. Come on. Uh, Tommy's like, couldn't you bring a smaller mirror? And I'm like, Tara wouldn't let me bring a smaller mirror because they're all really decorative. But this one, on the other hand, is cheaper. So there we go. And if anyone wants it, you can take it, she said. So just kidding. Uh, but no, the reality is Tara wanted you to get a full picture of the gift, of who you are. And see, you know, all narcissism aside here, this isn't what narcissist, this isn't narcissistic. This is the reality of what God has saved us for. Let's, dig it, let's dive into the scripture and the text here to see uh, what God says. So look at verse 10. For you are God's handiwork, created in Christ. Now, this word here, handiwork, can also be, uh, in the Greek, it's poema. God's poem. That's where you get the English word poem from. Have you thought about that? That you are God's poem or his handcrafted goodness? You ain't factory made. You are personally made. And you're not even made in the USA stamp. Like, you're made in the Holy Spirit stamp. (laughs) Made in God's handcrafted goodness. I mean, we should be hearing Genesis and the creation of man. See, what what Paul wants us to understand here in the church in Ephesus is that the work of Christ and his on the cross and through his resurrection is so transformational that it hasn't just taken you from, like, you're okay to, like, now you're good. Or even like version 1.0 to version 2.0. Like you were dead, and now you're completely alive in Jesus. You're a whole new being. There is no sense of turning back. If you're in Christ, you said yes to following Jesus, it's only moving forward. Only forward. But I think it's easy to look back and question who we really are. Am I really the poema of God? I know it's challenging for our high school students, especially in an image-saturated world, scrolling through Facebook, Instagram. Man, why can't I look as good as those girls? You know, anxieties build up over food. Then we can't even enjoy, like, good food because then we're worried about how it's going to change our bodies and how our bodies are going to be presented on social media. Then social media, our friends are going to see, and then our friends are going to judge us. But what was really cool is I was talking after the beach service with a group of high school kids, and I said, What's so ch- is it challenging to receive this identity? And they said, yeah, but I heard from a friend that you should never judge what God has made. I'm like, amen. That's it. See, when you judge what God has made or what God has called truth, you're saying something about God. So we say something like, well, you know, yeah, you're in Christ, but, man, you got a lot of work to do, you know? <laughs> it's like... God's handiwork, but hey, can we put that back to God and like have him, you know, buff it up a little bit more? Man, like we're judging what God is saying. He's declaring on us that in Christ we are God's 
poem, handcrafted, so beautiful. But there's more to this. There's more to this. And I, I want to just flesh out two elements to this. And it's found in verses 6 and 7. Let me read those again to you. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Did you catch in order that? You know, James, loved, he's a professor, he loved talking about Greek clauses. This is what's called a henna clause in Greek. I had to do it for James' sake. It's in order to, in order that he's done this so that. God didn't just save us so that we stay where we are. God saved us and transformed us in life so that we can become who he has created us to be. So that, and then here's the deal. You are meant to be put on display. You are meant to be put on display. See, there's no such thing as a private Christian. You are, it's a personal relationship with Jesus, amen. But it is a public expression of God's handcrafted work. I've been thinking about this a lot as a soon-to-be father. I have a bun in the oven. Well, Tara's oven, I guess. Um, and just like, man, like you see that baby like growing and it's, we're two weeks away. And like all the joy and excitement of what we've created. And to think about me stepping in and be like, you know what, I'm just going to keep this baby inside. I don't want anyone else to see him. I mean, hopefully, somebody like James be like, Matt, i got to see your baby. Come on, baby, I love you and I love what you've created. I want to see it. Because, because God has created something for you to see. God has gifted this baby not just for himself or for me and Tara, but for to bless the world through. And so oftentimes I think we hide back through insecurity, fears, and we hold back and say, you know what, I'm not really going to step into the transformational life that Jesus wants for me. The power of the Spirit that's supposed to radically transform my life to declare the goodness of Jesus. And I'm going to hide back. What's interesting, later in chapter 3, Paul's going to use the word ecclesia to call the gathering of the body. We are the ecclesia. Is that disco light on? Or what? Oh, this is the... Yeah. <laughs> Paul could have used other words to describe a social gathering, but he didn't. He used the word ecclesia. And this is really interesting, because the ecclesia designates a political public reality to who we are in Jesus and our gathering together. We don't come just out of our own private notions like a social club or try to leverage our relationships with one another to seek our own gains. We come surrendered by the blood of Jesus to one another to be transformed into the ecclesia or God's body. We're transformed into that body. And later Paul's going to go and say things like flesh out the reality of that body. He's made one humanity in, in Christ People are reconciled one, one another, to each other. So angerness and bitterness and greed, it has no place in the ecclesia. No place. And each Sunday when we gather, we, we come and confess and we lay that aside and say, Jesus, we know there's still work to do, but we want to be that. We want to live faithfully into that body. So we are men, meant to then go out from here and be on display for the world to see. So when you step into your jobs, you step onto your campuses, even with your own family, 
God has his handiwork on display. It's God's art show for all to see. I mean, imagine if Michelangelo just kept David all to himself. I'm not going to let anybody else see this. Or the Sistine Chapel. I mean, think about, for those of you who maybe have seen these great works of art, how it's moved you, how it changes you, how you can't really see the world differently after you've had that encounter. And that's what God wants to do in and through us. Now, the second thing is, it's not only public, right, this, this aspect to our identity of God's poema, God's handiwork. Uh, it's also for future generations. It's sort of something bigger than what we can experience right here in the moment. If you heard in verse 7, it said, so that in future, or the ages to come, or in the future generations, people might see, hear, and praise God, who has shown his mercy to us. You know, this past week we celebrated MLK Day. And I think about somebody who was bold enough to step into his identity as a follower of Jesus, to speak truth, and because of that, his legacy has outlived his time here on earth, his fleshly time, and through him, God, we see his life, and we praise God for somebody who was able to show us the love of Jesus. And the power of the cross, and that Jesus saved Martin Luther King not just from death, but to show us what life should be like, what real life is like, that you speak Truth to power. That there's, if there's inequality and there's poverty and there's injustice, you speak to it. And not only just speak, you live into it. You say, brothers and sisters, let's gather around. Let's go and walk with Jesus together in the name of Jesus, proclaiming our transformed lives. That's what Jesus wants to do for future generations. Amen? But man, that's tough, though. Because there are powers at, at, in this world that do not want Jesus to be glorified. And they want to say, you know what? You really aren't that good of a handiwork. You have a lot more work to do. And I want to I sit in that a little bit later. But I want to first point out um, something that is exciting, though, too. And that is another element to what we are called for, and that's we are called for, to create good works. Look at verse 10 again. It says, in, uh, for we are God's handiwork, God's handcrafted, his poema, to do good works. See, when we are created in Christ, we are not meant just to stay here by ourselves, but we are, have the power of the spirit, the power, that, the recreation of humanity that at our, at our fingertips that we can step into the world and recreate it. Create good culture, in a sense. That's what we have. In in chapter 1, Paul talks about the the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, we have access to. That same power. I mean, that's crazy to me. Christians should be known for creating the the best culture in the world. Oftentimes, I think we we flatten, though, the power of Jesus and what culture can can become. And Andy Crouch, in his book on culture making, he talks about how Christians should be known primarily as artists and gardeners. People who make something, taking the dirt, planting something, bringing forth life. Taking a canvas, something that's blank, transforming it. Taking mold and clay and turning in 
to something beautiful. See, it doesn't matter if you're a venture capitalist or a business owner, if you work at a Raytheon, Chevron, if you're a student, you create culture. The power of the Spirit. You can create good culture. Is that crazy to think about? That we can create culture? I was thinking about a couple moments this week um, that I, I saw that were good culture um, experiences. People who created this culture. And one was uh, one of our students, Jacob Handgardner, who we, uh, we gathered a bunch of students at Penn and PV High before their finals. And Jacob stepped in and, and prayed for our, about 15, 20 of us who were gathered to remind all the students there that their identity was not in their performance in their grades, but in Jesus. That's good culture. See, good culture tells a story. It tells a story that you are more than your performance. It tells a story of God. That's what good culture does. So an architect can do this in the way they design a building. A venture capitalist can do this by fostering, pulling money together and creating good projects. An engineer can do this by making systems run more efficiently. A teacher can do this, and a coach can do this by empowering their students. I also think about our, our small group leaders at Tide and at, at Rush on when, Tuesday and Wednesday night. Uh, leaders who are willing to sit with students to hear about their life, to hear about their day. Creating culture in that environment, in that small group setting. A place that's safe. A place that they can confess sin. A place that they can step into without shame and say, I want the work of God in my life. That's what we do here on Sunday morning. At least it's what we hope to do. We try to do. We can step into this place to create good culture together. I also think about uh, a guy named Chad Mayer who runs ShareFest. Uh, many of you know ShareFest. ShareFest might be best known for their workday, um, which they adopt projects at schools all throughout LA, and then they bring the community together and, and do this beautiful beautification work uh, in each campus. Uh, but Chad also does, and ShareFest does so much more. In particular, they're all about community development. And community development in particular to young students who haven't had the access to resources that they need in order to live a more flourishing life. Chad recently got a grant uh, that will allow him to take students, particularly students of color, who have had, not had the access to college education, and to work with them to get them into college so that they can have a more fulfilled life. Now that is good culture making. Working with people who don't necessarily have what it takes, or maybe they have what God has given them and they just need someone to step into their life and to transform it by the love of Jesus. And that's what we do as Christians. We step into people's lives and say, I know, I know God is at work in your life and I want to be there to help that flourish. And that's what we're called to do. And this works not only individually, it also works collectively. Good culture making. So I've talked about before... When we gather together on Sundays, it's not just to come, get a good message, sing a couple songs, and then leave. It's to be transformed together in our public worship. Uh, Walter Brueggemann, who's an Old Testament scholar, talks about the Sabbath is an art form. Sabbath keeping is an art form. That It's not just a, a, a rule to follow, but by keeping the Sabbath, by practicing the Sabbath, we are 
making art. So when I say in our worship gathering, as we come in together, you are making art right now. Isn't that crazy to think about? Now, I know that church coming to church on Sunday can feel more like either you're dra- dragging here because you feel bad about yourself and want to feel better, or maybe somebody's dragging you here, uh, and you just go because mom asked you to come, uh, or, you know, because you get to see James, and he makes you feel really good about yourself when you say, that's why I come. Um, but, you know, whatever you gather together, we need to be remembered that this is so much more going on right now that we can't even see. As we gather together under the cross of Christ, we are transformed for creating good culture here in our worship service. I know it's hard to do because we sit often, our bodies aren't often engaged, but this is why we need one another. There's a collective reality to creating good culture. I need you and you need me. We need each other to create that. We need differences, not just all the same. See, good culture is flourishing in so many different ways, and we need each other to point out what that looks like. And I want to get to something that, in in text, it talks about the forces in this world that want to resist that, though. That want to resist the work of God in your life. That in Christ, you have been transformed as that poema, that handiwork, but there is an active force that wants to resist that. In verses 2 and 3, it talks about the spirit, Paul says, the spirit of the air. Or there's this ruler, this, and again, that, that image there is something that, that controls, there's this another force in the world. It's just their language to use to talk about another reality that's going on. I think about uh, a couple things come to mind, first of all. One, I, I think about a culture of anxious production. A force that is driving you each day to get up and go and produce more. And there's just no rest for you. In fact, Brueggemann in his book talks about how even our weekends that are supposed to give us rest are just filled with more production. In fact, as a kid, I used to, sometimes I come to church, and church was like the best time for me to like write down my to-do list. If any of you are doing that right now, no shame. But, uh, it's like, like for once you got some space, and like, okay, wait, space so I can write down my to-do list and get more efficient about what I'm doing. And when we do that, We miss what God is at work right now in forming us as his people, creating that good culture. But man, it's so hard to get away from that anxiety of always producing. It's never going to be enough. It's never going to be enough. I'm not going to be enough. I'm not going to be able to earn enough. I'm not going to be able to produce enough. And so we're constantly, in the biblical example, we're in slavery to Egypt again. Slavery to Pharaoh. Just constantly grinding us, constantly working us away. But God has redeemed us from that and has freed us. And so in Christ, we have that freedom to declare, no, we are no longer slaves to sin, slaves to anxious production, slaves to somebody else who wants to lay late to claim us. We're free in Christ. And we live in that transforming power. And so I think there are a lot of these spirits, there, these other forces that are at work. Forces that, that work on us in ways that transform us. I think one of the things also that we need to recognize is that we, as, or myself, Matt, am often the, wor- the strongest force working against God. That I need to get out of my own way 
to allow God to do what God has saved me for. But my own desires, my own uh, ambition, my own, we, the, Paul calls it the, the desires of the flesh get in the way. Well, God, if it can just be like this, it'd be so much better. You know, or we're in, just captivated by carpe diem. Seize the day. I'm going to go out and make it my own, right? But we forget that what, what, what Paul is saying here in verse 10, for God has prepared the works for us. We don't do the, we don't create those good works. They're going to happen if we just faithfully follow Jesus. Uh, Richard Rohr, in his book on the gospel and the 12-step program, it's called Breathing Underwater. He says, we're all addicted to something. We all have addiction. Whether it's to privilege or whether it's to, uh, you know, your desires for life, to substance, whatever it is, we all have addiction. And so in Christ, we can confess that and say, Jesus, you now are the power. And the, we talked about this on the Christ, uh, New Year's Eve service, that the paradox of the Christian faith is that when we turn our life over to Jesus, we give, we give control to him and learn a new type of control, a control by the Spirit. We are no longer controlled by the ways of this world or by the spirit of the air, as Paul says, but by the Spirit of God. So what's it, what do you have to get out of the way from? What, what force do you need to call out in truth that is forcing you away from all that God wants to do in your life? Um, Walter Brueggemann also talks about, as a Christian, the communion table is the highest expression of our freedom in Jesus. When we come to the table... And we declare that in Jesus, we were dead and now we are alive in Jesus. And we are saved for good works to, that he has prepared for us to do. We gather at that table and it is the pinnacle. Be reminded that through his body and his blood, we have been transformed for good works. And as we gather the table today, you will be reminded of all that God has said about you, that you are his handiwork, created for good works. Uh, I want to close with a testimony of, of somebody I think demonstrates this passage so well. His life reflects this. Because the reality is, it can be hard to create good culture. And there's a cost to creating good culture. For instance, I think about... Uh, a guy in our church who runs a business and he closes on Sunday. There's a cost to him closing down on Sunday. And I remember talking to him how much he makes per minute at his work. But he's willing to pay that cost because he's creating a culture that says, employees, you can have a day of rest. And I'm not going to be a slave to just 24-7. There's something bigger going on here. That's good culture making. But it costs him something. It also costs a guy who I admire so much and have been blessed by his culture making, a guy named Lecrae, who's a hip-hop artist, an amazing brother in the Lord. Now, Lecrae, in 2000, uh, had, man, he was on the tour, just like killing it, um, especially among youth groups, uh, where he was huge. And but, um, so he's going in 2014, and Michael Brown gets shot. And Ferguson happens, and he starts speaking out, saying, 
yo, we need to have a conversation about what's going on here. There are, there are a lot of people getting shot. Let's have a conversation about that. And he talks about how he got reamed on Facebook about this. And he lost 90% of his business. Now that's confusing and crazy. Because what happened was 90% of his business came from white evangelical youth groups. And that didn't sit well with a lot of people. They didn't like what he was saying. But Lecrae was touched by the word of God, and he knew he needed to call out truth of what was going on. To say, we are all God's handiwork in Christ, created for good works. But there's a force in this world that is stopping that from happening, from flourishing. And as a follower of Jesus, I'm going to speak to it. And he spoke to it, and it cost him a lot. Not only financially, it cost him psychologically, emotionally. He went into depression. And he talks about this. He talks about his journey through depression of feeling like, well, who am I now? Like, I feel like, God, this is what you want me to be, but I'm speaking truth, God, and I'm losing my, my, my crew. Like, what's going on? And boy, God met him in that darkest valley. And he said, you are my handiwork. You, Lecrae, are my handiwork. And I have something so much bigger for you. So his new album that came out last year, called all, all Things New, that God makes all things new for those of us in Jesus. And I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, to listen to that good culture. See, we don't necessarily have to, you don't have to like hip-hop, that's okay, but we can still recognize good culture. See, what was happening to Lecrae is, somebody told him, brother, it was like you were, you were singing hip-hop, but it was like, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech over a rock album. It just didn't fit. And so Lecrae finally found his voice. He he found his rhythm in Jesus of what Jesus wanted to do in his life. See, we don't have to become somebody else. We just need to be who God has made us to be in Jesus. Now, for some of us, maybe we aren't in Jesus yet. We haven't received the gift of his freedom. And for those of you who are there still kind of checking that out, I want to say you're missing out on the best life possible. You're missing out. And what Richard Rohr says, when we surrender our life to Jesus, it's not a giving up, it's a giving to. We give our life to Jesus so that he can say, you are now my handcrafted piece of beauty, and I'm going to transform your life so the world can see you on display and see me and all my love for them. And all that you can do will be alive. And that's the greatest life. So students, it, is, it doesn't matter about what college you get into, or where you're going, what kind of grades you get, or what your body image looks like, how thin you are. That doesn't matter. What matters is if you're in Jesus. If you were dead and now you're alive, and what Jesus wants to do in and through you, to transform you. And he wants to use you on your campus to speak truth to women and men who are still captivated by the spirit of the air that says, your body has to look a certain way. Oh, don't eat that, because that's going to put on the love handles. And this week, we get, you know, there's uh, winter formals coming up. And there's going to be other cultures that are trying to be created saying, in order to have fun at a dance, you've got to have to engage in this kind of a culture. And as Christians, we can say, no, that's bad culture. We want to create good culture as followers of Jesus. So as the band comes back up and we come to the table, let's be remembered of the testimony of Lecrae and what Jesus wants to do through your life. It might cost you something. It might cost you a lot. 
but it's worth it. It's our call. And brothers and sisters, like for MLK, it's like his, his life, he was assassinated. I don't want to get assassinated. I don't want to get shot. But when you're in Jesus and you recognize it's God's work in and through you, it doesn't matter how you die. Death has lost its sting. It doesn't matter if you live till 80 or if you live till 33 like Jesus did. It's about living right now. So you are doing better than you think if you are in Christ because he has huge, huge plans for what he wants to do through you. Are you willing to submit to him? Are you willing to submit to him? Let's pray. Father, we declare in your name, Lord, the principalities and the powers and the forces that work against us, that want, that want to fracture us and isolate us. But God, in your body, because of your death on the cross and your blood for us, God, we have salvation, the forgiveness of our sins. And you have not only have saved us from death, God, in, in separation from you, you have saved us for good works. God, for those out there who need to be reminded of your, that you declare over them that you, that they are your poema. They're handcrafted work of art. May they see you, Jesus, when they look into the mirror. Not imperfections. Areas they need to work on. God, may that spirit of anxious production just dissolve in the name of Jesus. That we can rest in you. Knowing, God, that we don't have to work hard and trying to produce so much, God, we can just rest in you knowing that you will do the work through us. We aren't apathetic, Father, but we step into the knowledge that you have saved us for a beautiful life. So God, as we come to the table, maybe be with thanksgiving, thank you, Father, for Jesus, for his death on the cross, the resurrection, and may we live into the power of that, that we are your poema, and that we are created for good works. In Jesus' name, amen.